So we buy things and we dress away and we say certain things to position ourselves in a very particular way. Most of the time it's very subconscious and we don't realize we're doing it. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Stay Hungry podcast. Today I've got branding expert Danny Matthews and we're talking about the misconceptions in branding. Danny, this is my radio voice. This is my radio voice. Oh, that's a terrible voice. That was, like, that was like a sex line voice. <laughs> <laughs> that was really yeah, weird. Was I'm bad. fairly sure I paid for that. One ninety nine a minute last night. <laughs> um, oh, I didn't. Just, just to be clear. No, because so, I'm more expensive. Than yeah, you. yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of how expensive you are, for the uninitiated, who are you and what do you do? Hello, everyone. My name is Danny Matthews, and as far back as I want, as I re- want to remember, uh, I wanted to be a designer or a creative, and um, I went to an all boys school in Coventry where they used to send people to hang, which tells you a lot about why I'm not there anymore. What, Coventry uh, or the school? Coventry. <laughs> okay. There's an old saying, they used to say, send them to Coventry, and it's because they used to do awful things for them there. That's weird. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's really weird. I but think, I I think the, last, the last hanging in the UK took place in Shrewsbury, which is where we are. So <laughs> we've got something in common, that's nice. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to argue with that on that. On that, I think that's true. That's yeah. nice, right? Yeah, hang in. We've got that in common. <laughs> Lovely. Yes. So I, uh, yeah, I went to an all boys school, and uh, they were trying to become a sports college, so there wasn't really any encouragement or support to do anything creative. Mm-hmm. So landed in a job like everyone else, um, which led me to an episode of burnout, which left left me temporarily paralysed, and eventually got where I wanted to go. And something really um, interesting happened when I entered the design field with no experience, no qualifications, mm-hmm. and never working for a client in design was that I realized I'd run a business for 10 years. And actually, there was I was solving the same problems, just in yeah. a different way. I was solving them in a creative design kind of way and got obsessed with, with this thing called branding, which I think people get so confused about. Yeah, um, sure. Which leads me to where I am now. So I run, a, I run a company called Short Story Ventures. We're, we're essentially a, a venture builder, which incorporates like a branding agency, but also I've invested in a few businesses over the years and launched a few products and things. So it's just a place to house them all. Like yeah, it's your umbrella. Hmm. I get it. So um, we kind of brushed over it there, but you suffered with burnout, burnout so bad you were paralyzed. Yeah, lost feeling from the waist down and um, slight loss of speech. Wow. Wow. Talk to me. Pretty serious. What, yeah, yeah. What yeah. Was going so, on there? so I um my business for the majority of my career was in financial services, and um, I went from being really interested in private healthcare and health insurance to expanding the business with an old colleague into protection and eventually mortgages. The only problem with entering mortgages was that it's much more regulated than insurance, which meant that um, a lot of the ways that mortgage advisors or mortgage brokers work is really old-fashioned mm. it's very face-to-face it's the process is just uh, old and outdated and me being like the creative technologist interest in you know technology in the future as i was i went this is crazy i'm gonna i'm gonna go do something so i built a proof of concept uh, that i branded as a startup called mortgage digital mortgages which got a lot of interest um and eventually a company said 
we're going to bid for this big government contract. And if we win it, it's going to be worth three and a half billion quid. We're literally going to control every single mortgage within the M25 mm. that goes through the affordable housing process. And they said, can you come and build this for us? Uh, and I said, yes. So it was basically this, con- this like high pressure contract essentially of me building digital mortgage software um that led me to uh, to this state of burnout and actually it wasn't the only thing going on me and my wife were in our third round of IVF trying to have our first child Mm -hmm. my father-in-law had just been diagnosed with cancer we had moved three times you know it was a pretty stressful time and um yeah all kind of landed at once and uh one day got to London realized that a can of ginger beer had exploded in my bag over the laptop I was using for the project that was about to present the final project to Mm. uh and everything just came all at once. And yeah, it was the weirdest feeling. Um, just dropping to the floor yeah. in the middle of nowhere and having strangers. I always thought London was a bit of like a cutthroat place. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually like three, four strangers came over and picked me up and put me on this. Like there was a big block stone in the middle of the street like, outside this building. And they sat me on there and kind of gave me some water and stuff and then left me to it. And it took, it took about an hour and a half two hours to kind of bring myself to realize what had happened yeah and then made my way home and called it a day basically so (laughs) it was it it was temporary paralysis as in very temporary paralysis but yeah yeah it took me about two months to recover properly like get all the feeling back and like but you know sitting on a train or a tube (laughs) wasn't too much trouble so yeah uh yeah rough yeah, you did well in London because I am—I um, once fell down one of those giant escalators in the tube backwards, and no, nobody, oh no, nobody picked me up. <laughs> so, no, um, that was my expectation. Actually, yeah. I was like, "Oh shit!" Yeah, uh, quite surprising. I had one of those days where I was late for a meeting, so I was rushing, and my trainers got caught in the escalator teeth, and and down I went. And uh, yeah, I would not recommend that. That was not fun. But no, damn anymore. Air Force yeah. Ones! How dare they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't think I could afford Air Force Ones, and that's why I was rushing for the meeting. <laughs> so it's, it's probably like a knackered pair of Converse or something. <laughs> so, yeah, sounds right. So, what? Obviously, I was going to ask what was the turning point, but there's a very clear yeah. turning point there. <laughs> yeah. That was um, definitely it. I guess the actual turning point was like the two months that I spent staring into space thinking, what the fuck do I do now? Mm. Like, what, what, what am I doing? I've, ju- I've just wasted my entire career up to that point. Um, and I don't want to do it anymore, but I also don't know what I want to do. And it was only through, um, you know, I used to have little sketchbooks and things around, have these little like notebooks, uh, that I used to just doodle in as and when yeah. it was a quiet period. And uh, I was at my friend's dining table one day and I remember my wife just saying, I remember you, you telling me you wanted to be like a graphic designer or something when you were a kid. Why don't you just do that? And I think this, there was something in my brain at that point that would have taken anything. I, yeah, you know, I think yeah, the truth yeah. is if, if she said, why don't you be an ice cream man? I would have probably gone. Yeah. Okay. That's every kid's but, dream. Know, I'm in for that. <laughs> Yeah, but she just so happened to recognize something I told her a long time ago. And she said, why don't you do that? And uh, uh, there was nothing else I could do but say, okay. And I started to look around and see how that how I could make that happen. So I'm a graphic designer by trade. Um, I run a marketing agency now. Don't tend to 
get much time to express myself on branding, things like that. Um, it's a bloody tough industry. I, from an external standpoint, I'm like, is this out of the frying pan and into the fire? What What was the change? I just wanted. Uh, I think there was um, when when big things happen like that. There's there's not just what happens in your career mm. or in your life. There's like a behaviour change intrinsically, and I believe actually that's what's happened on a mass scale over the last three years. Yeah, and um, good and bad. Yeah, yeah, good and bad. You know, and and the one thing that I don't think we're doing as businesses actually is recognising what that change is and realigning to it. So we're kind of throwing shit at the wall again for mm. a phrase um so it was at the time it was like i just want to do something that i like you know that that hasn't maybe hasn't got that risk of me chasing money anymore and actually it just becomes something that becomes fun and um and that i i know i can do and just to be creative maybe uh, i didn't really know what the answer was back then um but s- slowly but surely realized that actually throwing myself out of the flame and into the fire was probably the best thing I could have done to to be able to learn, you know, that actually it wasn't a failure, uh, you know, and yeah. I wasn't starting again. I was just starting with some experience in a different industry or a different, yeah. uh, using it in a different way. That was all. Yeah, I completely relate to that. So um, in parallel to your story, um, the recession hit when, when I graduated. So, Graphic design jobs were few and far between. And um, square peg round hole, I trained to be an accountant and had a massive, massive burnout, much like you're describing. Uh, quit everything I was doing, quit my job and set up in business on my own. And everyone was like, this guy's insane. He's quit a stable job to set up by himself because he's got burnout. That doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. Um, so I completely get the frying, you know, out of the frying pan into the fire thing because I just needed a sense of purpose, a sense of direction, mm-hmm. and I needed to do something that I felt passionate about, not something that mm-hmm. um, I, I didn't mind paying other people's bills or helping other people earn money. I had no, I had no qualms with that. It was the, it was the monotony of it didn't matter how much work I did, it was never done, and that lack of purpose like a lot of the stuff I was doing I was like this isn't even necessary this is just how we do things and I have no control over it and I'm up till midnight doing it so cool so there's there's something in that like the purpose thing because I know that uh I think the difference is when you're doing something that you're supposed to do yeah that you enjoy that it's that like it fuels you um you do get stresses, but they're micro stresses. Yeah. Like they last, they last a maximum of a day. Yeah. Because yeah. you sleep, because when you go to sleep, you wake up and everything's back to normal. Um, but I think when you're not and you're doing something that possibly isn't what you enjoy or that, you know, just grinds you down. So those stresses are so elevated. It damages your health really over the mm. long term. Um, and that's the difference that I felt. The fact that I know if something really bad happens today, it'll be gone in a few hours or tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the extent of it. I, I love know? that. My, like my wife thinks I'm a freak now because I don't bat an eyelid up much, and yeah. I used to be highly strung in the extreme. So, really crap example. But when we had the thunderstorms this week, the guttering on our house broke, 
And she's like, oh, we better get that fixed before it rains again. And it, it literally hasn't crossed my mind once. Um, <laughs> but, but old Joel would have fixated on that because it would have been like a mega stress. And I think for anyone in, on, on, in an entrepreneurial space, when they're truly serving their purpose, the way you described it is amazing. Things just kind of bounce off you. And, and especially when you know you're not doing anything wrong, if you're serving your purpose with integrity, you know, when you're doing well, you get horrible things happen, people send you legal letters, people try and take from you, and it's just like water off a duck's back, you're like, yeah, but I'm not doing anything wrong, so let's let's go. Yeah, I remember my wife one day, there was something going on in the, in the business with a client, and I went home and told my wife, and she was like giving me a hug and she was like are you okay i know this is probably really stressful i was like i'm fine yeah this is good and she was like oh she just she thought that i would take to it the way i, I always have you know I, I don't like conflict i'm not very good in difficult situations difficult conversations mm. and you know i've learned to tackle that and do that in in my own way but um but yeah she expected me to like just crumble like i did back then yeah it, it was such a different feeling this time you know, even though it was not a nice circumstance, just in my gut, I just felt like, yeah, what can you, how much, like, have you done all that you can Yeah. to make sure that situation is okay? And if you have, then good. If you haven't, go do. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you just tackle things in a, in a different way, I think. And yeah, all for, all for the good. So take me to that switch where, Obviously, you needed to learn how to become a graphic designer. How did how did that happen? Because, you know, I guess I could say, well, it took me 17 years to learn how to become a graphic designer. So who's this guy who suddenly switched careers? But talk to me. Forgive the audacity of what I'm about to tell you. Uh, oh, I'm excited. I don't, I don't think there's many people I've told this, but when I entered the design field... Um, no experience, no qualifications, never worked in design professionally. I had dabbled. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was 17, I started a eco-friendly print and design business mm -hmm. called Eco Print, which I went through the Prince's Trust to start, never ended up starting it because they offered matched funding and I didn't have the funding for them to match. Yeah. Um, I think it was about eight grand that I needed for them to then match it for equipment and stuff. So it didn't happen. Sold the business plan. That business is still going today. Um, and it was like when eco wasn't sexy, it was just like yeah. kind of coming out as like FSC started being popular and paper and trees and things. Anyway, um, so, uh, so yeah, the, so I had no real professional experience apart from dabbling with Photoshop and stuff. So I had two problems. One was deciding, do I need a job or can I just freelance or whatever? Either way, I had just left a 110 grand like job with bonus and nice million pound house in London kind of thing. Um, <laughs> to basically start again with nothing or go for a minimum wage junior graphic design mm. job. And I was like, what do I do? So I Googled how to be a, become a designer, uh, a graphic designer. And, uh, it, it showed me this thing called the 30 day logo challenge. Nice. And you might, you've probably seen these, which is like you sign up with your email send you a fake brief every day you design a logo and you know that's a bit of practice um i thought why don't i do that while i'm looking for jobs so 
Um, so this was my first problem. My second problem was that um, that gap in earnings. I'll come to that in a minute. That's the audacity bit. So I was basically thought, I'm going to do this logo. I'm going to get up every morning. I'm going to take the brief. I'm going to design this logo. I'm going to record my screen, shrink it down to like a 30-second video so it's like sped up. Um, and I'm going to post it online every day with the brief and, and why I did certain things. And I did that every day for 30 days. And on day four, I had a message on Facebook and someone said, didn't realize you'd done this, Danny. Um, uh, how much is a logo? And I went, oh, no idea. Uh, 150 quid. <laughs> and I said, yeah, sure. Amazing. When can we get started? I went, what? And, uh, day eight, I think I had three inquiries. Day 16, I had enough work for two months. And um, I thought, how can I do two things? Number one, because I knew from speaking to people, communities, Facebook groups, I knew that there were graphic designers everywhere saying, oh, I, how do you charge more? Like, I, I need to charge more for what I do. And mm. but people don't really value graphic design. And it's such a commodity. And everyone goes to Fiverr. And, and all this complaining. And all I heard was people complaining. All the complaints, no solutions. So I just thought, how do I figure out how much design is worth or how much I'm worth, however way you want to mm. see it? And how do I do it in a way that bridges my income gap quickly? So I said, how about every time someone inquires, I just double the price and see what happens. And then when someone says no to the point where I can't pay my bills, I'll go down again. Um, it was a bit of a game. Uh, I had nothing to lose mm. and I just thought, fuck it. So I was doing these, um, this logo challenge, getting a brief every day, spending an hour designing a logo every day, looking for jobs, applying for jobs. Uh, inquiries came in one after the other and I went, yeah, sure. 150. Cool. Done. Great. Next one. 300. Yeah, sure. Great. Done. 600. 1200. Two and a half, five. Guess where it stopped? I reckon about 20. 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that 15... Although that doesn't, uh, the maths don't stack, so I want to argue about that, because double two yeah, and a half yeah, cool. is five, double five is ten, double <laughs> ten is twenty. So I could, yeah, yeah, I could exactly. never have got that question right. Yeah, that's um. so that comes down to human, uh, um, human flaws. Okay. To the point where you go, can I really go ten to twenty? Uh, and I, and I said twenty, and I heard a, and I went sorry, fifteen, and I went that yeah okay that sounds that sounds okay. Nice. <laughs> like I just I just listened on the phone to the sound and thought shit that was too high, uh, and just said okay fifteen, and they agreed. And actually, I felt so bad for charging so much for what I had only done a few months ago for 150 quid. I was like, is there anything else you need that I can do in that? And I ended up adding stuff and just trying to bulk up the value because I felt so bad. Um, but was an amazing lesson for me on self-worth and value. Yeah. And I realized the biggest thing I realized through that is as a designer, 
being a designer is an amazing skill, not because you get to design logos, but because when someone has an idea, you can make it real mm. very quick. Yeah, yeah. And you can, you can almost create the perception of reality without it actually being real. And I found that fascinating to the point where I went into this deep rabbit hole of what's this branding thing and human behavior and uh, semiotics, which for those listening is the science behind shapes and symbols. Yeah. Um, I, I was really interested to know why, if I asked someone what color is an apple, would they say green rather than red or vice versa and what influenced that? And ever since that, I've, I've tried to be able to define branding as something someone can understand very quickly. And the only way that I can describe it is that rather than branding being this very surface level, you know, visual part of branding or marketing, actually branding is the bridge between your experience of life and why you buy things. Mm. And ever since then, I, yeah, I've let myself go in the, stay in the rabbit hole. <laughs> so I guess, and every, then, every listener listening to this is screaming, how many logos did he sell for 15 grand? That is a really good question. Uh, I'm on probably a dozen, I think. I've worked with about 310, 15 companies. I reckon a dozen were 10 grand plus. Nice. The rest of them were between. So my, my average project is about 7K. Yeah. Um, most of the smaller business and startups get started for about three, um, easily. Um, and then kind of group stuff and programs are like 15, 1800. So there's a good range of pricing structure, I guess. But, um, but it's, it's great being able to now understand what value is attached to what price. And, and, uh, it's just about digging conversation. Uh, and in all honesty, solving bigger problems. Yeah. I love that within the brand conversation where price meets brand. So it's because I've been an agency by myself that charges 500 pound for a WordPress website. I've charged 25 grand for a WordPress website. And some of it is expertise. Like, absolutely. Like I am much better at building WordPress websites now than I was 12 years ago. Um, some of it is brand positioning, so the perceived value of our brand. Some of it is the client base that we work with, and so the perceived value to them. Um, and then some of it is security, so simply knowing that it's been done properly and to a set standard and that there's a guarantee and that there's somebody to ring up and blame and like all these things. And yet, to someone who's never had that, and I kind of want to say financial education, but it's it's like a, an entrepreneurial education, they could look at one website and look at another and be like, that's the same thing. Why is one £500 and one is 20 grand or whatever? And I I mean, what's what's your thoughts on that within within branding itself? Yeah, my, my uh, it's funny, I, I spoke to, uh, he's very well known, so I won't mention his name, but I spoke to a guy that's really well known in, in like logo design and mm-hmm. branding. And I remember 
uh, I had this burning question and I, and I had the opportunity to spend some one-on-one time with him. And I said, I've got to ask you, what's the difference between you designing a logo for a hundred grand and me designing one for a hundred quid? Mm. And he said, come here, the bollocks to ask for it. You love it. Yeah. And I was like, that is so good. That is so funny. Uh, but like I dug a little bit deeper and I was like, yeah, but what's like, give me the nuances. Like what, what is the difference? What kind of work do you do? And that kind of thing. And a lot of it comes down to the problem you're solving mm. and a little bit like what you said about the website. When you get to a certain size of business, actually much of what you do is just about risk management. Yeah. Like protecting just in case things go get a downward spiral. So when I'm talking to a business about branding, it's a very, very different conversation with a hundred K a year business to it is with a four million a year business. Yeah. Because when you get to like the four million revenue stage, you you're much more worried about like that going down than you are about increasing the hundred K to a million. Yeah, yeah. Um which means that the conversation is very different because it's it's damage control and it's risk management. So you have to do much more research and that takes time. There has to be some validation to what you're doing. It can't just be like opinionated backwards and forwards. Yeah, yeah. You can't just design some concepts and go, I don't like that one. I like that one. Cause at some point I'm going to have to say, this isn't about you anymore, Janet. Like this is, it's always this is about your Janet. audience and you're <laughs> fucking Janet. <laughs> but like it gets to a stage where you got to say, this isn't about you anymore. Like you're trying to achieve something and I'm going to help you get there. You have to trust the process. And there's a price attached to that. So, yeah. um, because it takes more work, research, validation, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree. I mean, there's only so much experience you can have. There's only so much expertise you can have. We're all using the same software. <laughs> it, it, uh, it makes it makes me laugh when I um, I meet people and they're like, I've spent 25 years in graphic design, and I'm like. No, that means you were a letterpress person. Yeah, yeah. And you've learned along the way. And it's likely that if you've worked for the same company for the last eight years, you've pretty much done the same old crap for eight years. Whereas I've worked with 300 odd businesses and they're all very different. (laughs) You know, and that gives you you a much more broad experience. I've never met a good graphic designer that says that. It's brutal, but it's true. Same in marketing. I've I've worked in marketing for 50 years. Who do you young upstarts think you are? it's like, so what you mean is you feel threatened. And I I don't say that in a cynical way, and I certainly don't intend to threaten anyone who has got an incredible amount of experience, but it's a weird thing to say. It's it's like, what what are you talking about? We're working in one of the fastest changing industries in history. And to be honest, there's people that could take it up tomorrow that in a year's time could be a massive threat to me, and that's fine. That's the game I'm in. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's really funny. Like that there is a big, big conversation around like how brands communicate mm. and have a real gripe with like how, how some people do things. But there's a, there's a really, and this might help the listeners actually, but you know, for years and years and years through industry, it's been a very, um, and actually, I credit a lady called Rachel Savage, who's her her whole business is storytelling. Uh, and and she's I credit got her a for tremendous what? surname. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so if you work with her, you'd realise why. Uh, no, I'm kidding. She's lovely. She's the daughter uh, of Macho she, Man. You know, Randy. she's uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Um, but she's got an amazing business and, and just, just having conversations with her, the way she communicates just makes me realize so much about what's wrong with how we communicate today. And um, so what I'm about to say kind of credited to yeah. her because we've noticed over, you know, decades, centuries that industry has been very masculine. Mm-hmm. It's been very corporate, money driven, revenue profit, you know, or this language that we use, which means that we've got into this habit of kind of, communicating who we are in a way that's very self-serving it's very selfish about us mm. like go to I, I can tell you and you could probably do the same would go to any website and i can tell you immediately if it performs or not because mostly it says we 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 like every sentence is we've got 20 years experience we've got the expertise we're qualified in this and the truth is no one gives a shit yeah like everyone only cares about themselves and if you just communicated how people want to receive that communication your whole world will change and the best way i've heard it talked about in the sense of storytelling is people like rachel and donald miller for example will say you have to create a story that invites people to be part of it yeah where they are the hero of the story and you're not you're You're merely the guide or the mentor or the people that help them reach a successful outcome and help them avoid failure that's your only job so when you go to a website that says we 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 it's really it you know even neuroscientists will say that's really off-putting for the brain like you land on it the reason that bounce rates are so high on those websites is because people get there and go oh this isn't about me and they press back yeah. Whereas if they get to a website and all of a sudden the communication is about them, um, get three to four times more leads with one simple change. Yeah. Like here, like re- really simple communication that's about me and not about them. All of a sudden our brain and our subconscious uh, goes, this is about me. Like this is going to help me. And it's the, the line between those two sets of communication is so thin. People miss it all the time. And it's um, it's it's almost like communication is a dying trade. It's crazy. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. So my business partner calls that tune into We FM, which stands for What's in it for me. And mm. so if we're ever writing copy for a website, a campaign, our team are told to tune into We FM because they need to look at it from the prospects view, and and what's in it for me. So mm. no one cares about features. That's another issue that massively puts people off they don't want to see a list of how the washing machine works they just want to know that it can wash their clothes and you know and technology manufacturers are actually really shit at this they'll be like oh it's the new turbo treble x machine wash mode and only idiots fall for that everyone else just wants to know if it'll wash their clothes without shrinking them it's it's like um but on the other side of this, I'll tell you a funny story of something that happened to me yesterday. So yesterday I was uh, speaking on stage at a kind of boutique event, um, predominantly women, which is irrelevant to the story apart from what happened to me. So, um, and Ladies and gentlemen, just for reference, that's called a hook, is yeah. what he's just done. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Duh, 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 duh. Um, so... I'm stood there, and the and the talk is called "Don't Network Like a Knobhead," and <laughs> it's actually a personal branding talk because everybody networks on the "What's in it for them" mentality. So, yeah. um, and the problem with when you're going into a networking environment and you start 
thinking about if you're going to make a sale that day or if you're going to get a lead that day is when it comes to asking a question of someone you you're waiting for them to ask you a question about you and so the only things you say are oh the weather's been a bit rough or did you see that pothole on the drive on the on the way in and like really shit weak questions and i was teaching the room about how to ask powerful questions that make the person on the receiving end feel like you've given them permission to speak. So you might say, what's the best thing that's happened to you this week? And and they've been waiting. And because you know you've been waiting to say your piece, they've definitely <laughs> been waiting to say their piece. And I was like, yeah, hopefully this room gets this. This is going to be really cool. But there was a few people in the room who were very much in the what's in it for me mentality. And they were really offended that I was suggesting that they might be selfish in those environments. And they annihilated me. They like, <laughs> absolutely fucking tore me a new one in front of all these people about how I was being um, overly bro in suggesting that people need powerful questions to get themselves through a networking environment and that actually small talk is a really important way that women do business. And I, and I was like, whoa, hang on. It's like, and clearly you've grown up in a macho environment, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I did well not to sort of lose my shit. And I just turned around and said, hang, hang on, actually. I grew up in a predominantly single-parent household with a very strong female as, as, as my mum. And she taught me to get to the fucking point, to ask people questions that matter because that's what they'll remember and it'll make them feel heard. And uh, the room, the room shut up then. But <laughs> but in branding, it's the same. You, like people want to know it's about them. They want to feel heard. They want to feel like you've understood their problem or challenge or mm. desire and. So many brands get that wrong, and that and that goes for the companies as well. Like what what they do, I think a lot of them think about how they market their products or, or services as you know what do what did they want out of it? Mm. What is like the outcome of what they want? When sometimes it's not actually about what they get out of it; it's what other people see they get out of it. Mm. It's like a, a especially in the fashion world, particularly. That's true, and the, then the the material things kind of yeah. uh, uh, kind of world. You know, every time we make purchasing decisions, it's usually not about us. It's like mm. it's about how we want other people to feel about us and how we want to position ourselves in the in the community or the friendship group or the business networking group or the office or whatever it mm. is. So we buy things and we dress away and we say certain things to position ourselves in a very particular way. Most of the time, it's very subconscious and we don't realize we're doing it. Um, but my job a lot of the time, you know, is to figure out what that is yeah. and why, pe why people are going to buy from you. Is it because they're trying to fulfill something for themselves or because they're trying to make people think something of them? Um, and I think we miss an opportunity sometimes to figure that out in, in depth. Yeah, you know we're, we're very good at going wide. <laughs> we're, we're not great at going deep sometimes. And figuring that out, like the nuances of behaviour and psychology around why people buy things, is is yeah, kind of uh, what like really interests me. A big one um, 
in, in our business, making people feel part of something mm-hmm. that actually the results really matter in what we do and we're a very results driven business but often the clients that feel part of the family are the ones that stick the longest and they and they want to be part of that kind of roller coaster they want to they want to get on they want to enjoy the ups and downs and they want to feel like someone's holding their hand and they want to feel heard mm. and they want to feel like in our case we're allowing them to be a bit edgier than they ever thought they would be and to like push the boundaries of what's possible with their business and to, and to charge prices they never thought they might be able to charge and, and all these things. And, and a lot of that, although it's marketing from our perspective, it is brand. And, and yet I guess the perception from the outside would be, fucking hell, look at those blokes and girls walking around in dinosaur hoodies with snapbacks on, like swearing on stage, you know shouting their mouths off on podcasts like i mean when we published a book literally who do these guys think they are publishing a book it's like what are you talking about and there's so much noise and sort of preconditioned ideas from society that you have to block out to get your brand right in the first place yeah yeah that and that's why most people can't do it themselves yeah hardly anyone can do it themselves there's a it's um it comes across in a weird way sometimes. I haven't figured out how to say this in a much more uh, probably sensible way, but the difference I think sometimes between going to an amateur and going to a professional is the ability to push past what is like cliche or expected of Mm. someone. So, you know, when people are coming up with ideas or names or ideas for logos or whatever it might be, I can sit with someone and they'll shoot some ideas most of them will be like, yeah, that's good. And, but it's kind of expected or you'll come across something that's quite cliche or whatever. And, and most amateurs, for want of a better phrase, will stick there. They'll go, yeah. that's a really good idea. I think we should run with that. They play in the professionals, comfort Yeah. Professionals understand that creativity is getting that out of the way so you can get to the other stuff like yeah. so you can push the boundaries a bit and you can think differently and you can put yourself in different situations and you know change your environment to get new ideas and that kind of thing and you you leave the cliche stuff behind now that doesn't mean that that stuff's wrong it just means that you've made sure that the final decision is right because you have explored everything else but most amateurs and most people that do branding themselves stick to the expectation the expected the cliche stuff and they cannot physically move past it yeah it's just not possible for them and i guess a lot of that comes from you can't break the rules if you don't know the rules exactly so you have to know the cliches and understand what's expected to be able to do the unexpected yeah people say like think outside the box but you you need to give me a box first yeah 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 (laughs) i need to know these confines of which i can push a little or not yeah yeah i mean an example of that i think i might have told you about this before but we, we worked with an accountancy practice and they were like, right, how are we going to like get ourselves out there, make a dent in a, like we live in a very traditional county as it is. Like it, Shropshire is agricultural and old money. And then if you're an accountant in Shropshire, it's an oversized grey suit and old money and everyone drives the same car kind of thing. And we were like, right, let's launch you a beer. And everyone was like, what the fuck? <laughs> and uh, you, know, you said outside the box, let's launch you a beer. And they, the, the growth that they had off the back of that, and, and we did it in conjunction with a networking club that they then labelled Thirsty Thursdays. 
it was one of the most joyful things to work on as a marketing campaign I've ever done because they they were like the the three directors of the accountancy practice were sort of good lads that enjoyed a beer so it played into their personal brands but also the kind of people they resonated with were like that too and they were all confined by this traditional society that they didn't really want to play in anymore so so many businesses jumped ship to them because they were like oh they're the fun accountants let's go there and uh and yet that was so simple funnily enough roll forward a couple of years another accountant down the road were like oh we're gonna do that too didn't work died straight <laughs> away no, exactly. like a couple yeah. of old guys who thought oh yeah if we copy that we'll be laughing and it's like yeah but you don't even drink it just doesn't make sense yeah. i think that's uh that's a really good lesson like we often go to experts and people to find out what we should do next and we end up like copying what what we perceive works yeah uh, and then it falls flat and um yeah it's a good lesson like we all have something we just need to figure it out it's, but yeah copying someone else usually doesn't work yeah and by the time you've got wind of a good idea it's no longer a good idea mm. it's like people that invest badly by the time you decide to put money in in a stock that's on tiktok it's not a good stock to be putting money yeah in exactly anymore. yeah <laughs> so, so you've been an awesome guest i've got two more questions that i ask every guest One's pretty sensible and a bit weird, and the other's just weird. So, uh, question one, what's the best mistake you've ever made? The best mistake I ever made was chasing the money. Um, that eventually led to burnout and me finding uh, the bollocks to do what I loved, really. Um, nice. it, it's really difficult now. Uh, I've, got a, I've got a huge passion because of my story of... Um, helping young people break out into careers, creative careers. And I don't care whether that's singing, dancing, being a scooter rider or being a designer. Mm. Um, uh, I want to make sure that they have the support and encouragement that I never had to go and just do and figure it out and not be confined by this idea of success that's been fed to us all the years. Yeah. But, Saying that, I find it really difficult to tell my story and follow it with, but you don't have to go through that because I did. Um, so trying to get the message across to young people that they don't need to hit rock bottom to be pulled back up to something they love. They can just go and do it is really difficult considering that, you know, I felt like that was that, you know, that was my journey and I can't change that. I, um, but that's the best mistake I made, yeah, I love, following money. I love that, and I love what you said afterwards, and I, I completely agree. One thing that I know you do, and I really try hard to do, is I try to teach from my scars, not from my wounds. So I've like made a lot of fuck-ups. I've had some horrible shit happen. I think I've dealt with those things well, and if other people can learn from them so they don't have to go through that, that that's amazing. And... Mm that's probably the biggest gift I can give people is to be like, look, I've gone through a lot of shit so you don't have to, so please listen yeah. to what I'm saying. Exactly, yeah. Um, and then the last question, what's your favourite film and why? <laughs> God, that's hard. Yeah. That's really hard. Yeah, and it depends, like, if you're like me, which I suspect you are, it kind of depends which way the wind's blowing as well. Yeah. I'll I tell you what, I... Um, 
I'm going to tell you one, and then I'm going to reel off a bunch of others. Yeah, like? <laughs> let's go. I've got an hour. So, <laughs> so, the, so the one, um, the reason I'm picking this is uh, a good reason. So um, my childhood was, I grew up on Japanese animated film. Okay. The, of course you the first did. Film I, I think the first film I ever watched was called Akira, which yep. is an old Japanese animated film about gangs and motorbikes, and it's a bit like Tron, but... Um, leather jackets, motorbikes and stuff. Um, and then I came it's across the, um, this... It's the influence for The Matrix, right? It was... Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. And uh, I I came across this other one called Ghost in the Shell that's been recreated recently in the last five years or so with Scarlett Johansson. And then I came across this uh, producer called Hiyo Miyazaki um, who owns a company called Studio Ghibli. And he created a bunch of films for the American market. And they're like really slow magical sometimes weird crazy movies and if i had to choose one so the one that i remember and that i now show my kids on at least a fortnightly basis is called my neighbor totoro and it's nice. about forest spirits uh, two like girls move into a house in Japan. creature in it <laughs> yeah yeah um but yeah he created loads of them um i guess, yeah, I guess, I guess spirited away was like the one that went mainstream everyone heard of so yeah and and ponyo i think most recently yeah. was another one that went a bit mainstream nice yeah, but a, a incredible set of films i'd encourage anyone to just sit on a sunday afternoon and just chill they're really slow paced like uh great if you like like lo-fi chill hot kind of focus music that's all over youtube you'll probably like these films it's like a visual the version. kind of yeah. pace visual visual versions of those with storyline and yeah they're just they're great and i still watch them to this day it's like mindfulness for children they Pretty are they yeah. it's i think if you'd never done like noom or headspace or something and mm -hmm. watched a studio ghibli you'd either think everyone's gone insane or it was the most relaxing thing you've ever seen <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my, my wife was just utterly transfixed when I first shown her. She was like, "A a, a bus that's a cat." <laughs> like it's just the weirdest stuff. She nice. could get her head around it, but now she's a big fan. Yeah, but no. Uh, if that wasn't the case, I would have chose Jungle Book, Goodfellas, Big Hero Six. Uh, big yeah, Hero Six. See, Big Hero Six is a lot like your your favorite. Like there's yeah, so true. there's a yeah. lot of parallels there. That's yeah. interesting. What was the last one? Uh, Goodfellas and the Jungle Book. Jungle Book, yeah, yeah. Jungle Book, Jungle Book's about it. Yeah, I mean that is a broad range of answers. Goodfellas is very different <laughs> to Big Hero Six. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of like uh, old school Italian New York gangster films and uh, and that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, awesome. Danny, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Uh, LinkedIn is probably my focus. So um, I'm the actual Danny on, on the forward slash, if you use it that way, or just look for me, Danny Matthews. Awesome. Thank you for being a wicked guest. Thanks, Joel.